Matthew chapter 7, as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7 and beginning with verse 7, we need to keep in mind as we progress through this that this is one whole message. And as often, people will take a part of something out without attaching it to the whole. And the verses before us tonight are familiar verses. I'm sure that many of you could quote these verses. Ask, and it shall be given to you there in Matthew 7, verse 7. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil or sinful by nature, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? We should always interpret every verse of Scripture in its context. We always should examine what has been said before it and what is said immediately after it. This is not a blank check, the verse I just read to you. I have heard it misquoted and misapplied in in various ways. And we must uh, always interpret Scripture, as we've mentioned, in context and in uh, comparing with what the Scripture teaches about the same thing in every other place. Again, this is not a blank check for anyone claiming that you can get whatever you want to from the Lord. All you have to do is ask, and He'll do exactly what you want Him to do. We hear that kind of teaching today, or something very near to it. What is the verse saying? Our Lord is not a good luck charm. He is not a a genie that you can ask for three wishes. He's not a lottery ticket. He is not a means to get everything that we want uh, as we want it. God, for one thing, will never do anything contrary to His perfect will. And so if I ask the Lord to do something that maybe not be sinful, I can say, well, this is not a sinful thing, but I want this particular thing in my life, or this, whatever it may be, the request is. God knows the end from the beginning, does He not? He has all the facts. He has all the information. He knows what Chris Lamb will be like ten years from now. I don't, do you? I don't know what my circumstances will be, but God does. He knows all the results of every possible choice and every possible outcome that could happen if He answers that prayer. He has all resources of His divine wisdom and infiniteness and power at His disposal. And so we must keep that in mind. God will never do anything contrary to His will. Contrary to that which is not best for us, he works together all things together for our good, for our very the very best for us. We're to prove what is that good and perfect will of God. We find out God's will in his word, and he never acts contrary to his word. We there trace his, his mind, his heart, the principles whereby he conducts the affairs of the universe, When we ask God's will, then we have confidence that He hears us, and then we can expect Him to answer. For example, today in the staff meeting, we meet every Wednesday, and we discuss the the business of the the church and all of our various uh, departments and uh, the areas that each staff member is over, and going over all of our gospel projects and that we, we prayed about, the building project needs, the funds for Thanksgiving supper, the Gospel of John, renovations that are needed, all these things are constantly looked at 
and uh, the salvation of seekers and those who are visiting the church, uh, the, those who, we, who we've visited. There's a, a, a lady that uh, Jonathan and I visited, I think, four weeks in a row uh, every week, and she keeps saying, I'm coming to church. And we just last night I said, should we go again? He said, certainly we should go again. Till she says, don't come back or until she comes. And so I said, okay, we'll do that. And uh, we pray about these things. Lord, move in their hearts. We know we search his mind. Don't you think this woman is not in church? She listens and wants to be in church. And so, you know, you think, well, what's the, what's the holdup? Well, that's the question we're asking, you know. And so I'm not trying to be facetious, but there are all kinds. Of, we have to pray that God would work in people's heart, work out his will. And so we, we know what we ask God's will according to what is revealed to us in his word. And so we ask the Lord to supply these needs, just as we will tonight. These needs are regular, aren't they? And when these needs have been supplied, guess what? Next month's power bill. Did you realize how they send that out every month, don't they? It seems like, I just mailed, didn't I just mail Alabama Power in the mail or however you pay it? And these things are regular, aren't they? And when we get this Gospel of John sent out, there'll be another zip code. And there'll be Thanksgiving supper again next year, this Gospel project of reaching hundreds and hundreds of people with the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is what he tells us to do. We ask the Lord to supply these needs. And in praying, we ask Him to examine us and our hearts and the request to see that we don't ask amiss, off base. What does it mean to ask amiss? James 1 tells us you ask, you lust, you desire something, and you have not. We usually think of the word lust in a, in a negative way, but it's just a strong, strong desire. It can be in any area. And our, the, the Scripture says you lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war. These are very strong words, aren't they? You have not because you ask not. You ask and you receive not. Because you ask amiss. What's, what's James telling us? I thought you just read to us that ask and you'll receive and seek and you'll find and knock and it shall be open to you. Then, of course, James says you ask wrongly and you don't get your request because you ask amiss. Do you see why we must compare Scripture with Scripture to see all the conditions of any topic that our Lord is promising? You receive not because you ask amiss. And one reason is that you may consume it upon your own lust. You just want it because of your pride or your own desire. You've never taken to consider God's greater will or if it'll affect others or, or if it'll affect you long range or what it might do to your relationship to the Lord. There's so many variables there. And James says the Lord's not going to answer that which will harm us or draw us away from Him or be negative in our homes or in the lives of those that we're asking for. And so uh, he goes on and says, uh, we should ask. Yes, God hears and answers prayer. I don't want for one moment for you to think that He does not. He is a prayer-hearing God, isn't He? Isaiah 59, verse 1, though, tells us, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. That personification of the Lord, who is spirit and does not have an arm or hand, but if He did not describe it in that way, we couldn't understand God, could we? And so the Scripture always gives those human characteristics to God And then our Lord, when He came to earth in a human form, He took on a human form so that we could understand what God is like. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But Isaiah says, God's arm is not shortened that He cannot save. The arm is your strength. That is the strength of the Lord. All power is given to me in heaven and earth. He is the maker of all things, the upholder of all things. All things are His. And He can do anything He chooses to do. 
Now, the Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save, neither is His ear heavy that He cannot hear. Aren't you glad of that tonight? But what does cause Him not to hear our prayers? It's not that God can't hear. He doesn't have a hearing problem like we might. But, and there, every time we see that conjunction, we ought to always consider what follows. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. Sometimes people will say, Pastor, it just seems like God's a million miles away. He's not, but He's hid His face times, He does in our lives, as a disciplinary means so that we'll consider our ways, that we will look within and see where we're in error, someone we might not forgiven, some area that we've grieved the Holy Spirit. We can certainly ask Him to help us not be condemning. Look in the context. What is in verse 1? Now, the chapter divisions here are done by uh, not the Holy Spirit. They're very helpful to us. But this, this chapter division really shouldn't be there as far as the whole context of the sermon. This is one message. This is not part 10. I, I've broken it down into tiny year. Oh, we've been in here, here over a year studying the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. But in verse 1 of chapter 7, what is, we, and we looked at last week, judge not that you be not judged. Don't be condemning and examining people's motives. You can't see into their heart and know what they're thinking and why they did what they did. And so we can certainly ask, Lord, please help me not to be condemning of others and to be judgmental of their actions when I really don't know the the root cause of it. Uh, We can ask Him to show us the beam in our own eye that goes on to say, Why beholdest thou, in verse 3, the mote, the speck of dust in your brother's eye, and you've got a log sticking out of your eye? So, in the context, ask is, Lord, show me why you're not hearing me or why it seems that your face is turned. Why it seems that your ear is heavy. Lord, if I have a beam sticking out of my head, it's a very graphic picture, isn't it? And, it's, and, and the Lord means exactly that. He, he uses that hyperbole of a speck of dust and a log sticking out of someone's eye because uh, it's, it's, it's obvious that something needs to be done about it. Lord, show me that beam that I'm not seeing, but it is, it is, is a beam between you and me. That's something we can ask and keep on asking and seeking and knocking. Do you see what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us? We can ask Him to show us our own besetting sin while we're, we're harking and picking at someone's motive over here, why they didn't speak or why they didn't do what we thought they needed to do. We can say, Lord, show me my besetting sin, this thing that is robbing me of the joy and the peace that we've sung about tonight in our own lives and for, for grace to, to re- repent of it and to forsake it. For these things we must hourly, daily, weekly ask and seek and knock because we're always in need in these areas, aren't we? Just when we get this beam plucked out of our eye, have you noticed how they come up again, don't they? Things that need to be dealt with. Attitude problems. Not looking at things correctly. If you've got a beam sticking out of your eye, you're not going to be able to see, are you? <laughs> and you say, don't you see sometimes people, and you say, why don't they see that? Why are they acting like Why are they making that decision? Look like anybody can see. Well, there may be a beam that needs to be removed. And so we have to constantly pray for these things. His grace is available for these areas. His grace is sufficient for the thorn that he might refuse to remove. And Paul asked him very vehemently, Three different occasions, Lord, remove this thorn from my life. What did the Lord finally answer him? 
those were, that obviously was a protracted time of asking, seeking, and knocking. And finally the Lord said, okay, Paul, I'm not going to remove the thorn. But I'll do something much better. I will give you super abundant grace to live with that thorn. For whatever reason, God wanted to magnify His grace in Paul's life. Remember, Paul had prayed, whether by life or by death, I want to know Him, I want Christ to be magnified where? In my body. And Paul says, all right, I'm going to magnify my grace in your body in a very real way. And while we do not know what Paul's thorn was, some say it was an eye condition. He wrote to the Galatians, you see what large letters, at the end of that letter, he says, you see what large letters I write with my own hand. And he also mentioned you would have plucked out your own eyes for me if you could. And most commentators say that's such an odd figure. It's not a figure. It couldn't be a figure of speech, they argue, because who says you love me so much you'd pluck your eyes out for me if he did not have an eye problem. And so some argue very strongly that that's what it was. And then they go on to say, remember when Paul, the high priest, said something to Paul and Paul said something back to him. Did you remember that in Acts? That God will smite you, you white, white. The high priest told the, the man next to Paul to slap Paul in the face. Can you imagine? And the, and the man did it. And Paul said, God will smite you, you white sepulcher. And somebody said, do you realize you're talking to the high priest? And what did Paul say? Oh, I did not know that was the high priest. How could you miss it? Remember the high priest get up? The mitre and all the, 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 the garb that he had on? You'd have to have a beam in your eye to miss the high priest. And so many argue that Paul, and Paul said, I could be a much better church planner. I could be a much better apostle, the care of all the churches. I wouldn't have to dictate everything to an amanuensis if I could just write it myself. But here I, I depend on other people. And if that was the, but, but God said, no, I think my grace can be magnified through your eyesight, your poor eyesight, or whatever the, the beam was. Well, his goal, remember what God's goal is. His goal is to conform us to the image of his son. Ask him to. And he will. But it may not always be comfortable. You might have to ask and seek and knock for grace for that. Seek his blessing. Implore his help. Lord, I need your help today. I need it yesterday and I need it today. These same old problems have come up again today. I need your provision. That's why he said to ask our daily needs. We needed food yesterday. We need food today. We need money for the bills yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's just an ongoing. And we look to Him to supply all that. Do you lack thorough repentance in your life? Lord, I just don't. I know there are things in my life. I've not genuinely repented in some areas. Well, ask and seek and knock. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, If we really want to be men of God, people of God, if we really want to know Him, and walk with Him, and experience those boundless blessings which He has to offer, we must persist in asking Him to do it day by day. We have to feel this hunger and thirst after righteousness. Remember, that's where He starts. Whoso hungers and thirst, blessed are the, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We have to feel this hunger and thirst after righteousness, and then we shall be filled. What if you don't feel hungry and thirsty after God's righteousness? Ask. Seek. Knock. Lord, I'm not where I ought to be. I don't have the thirst for you that I need to have. The things of this earth are dragging me down. I'm much more interested in the nightly news than in your, in your word or Facebook than communing with you and telling that. That's something to pray over, isn't it? 
And when we, then we shall be filled. And that does not mean that we are filled once and forever. We go on hungering and thirsting like the Apostle Paul, leaving the things which are behind and pressed toward the mark. Not as though I'd already attained, says Paul, but I follow after that pursuit. That is it. That this persistence, this constant desire, asking, seeking, knocking, this we must agree is the point at which most of us fail. We ask a little while, knock a few times, and okay, well, just like this is the way it's going to be. And no growth, no real hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why must it be so? The Lord has designed it to be this way, like our physical daily hunger and thirst. If we didn't get thirsty, we wouldn't drink, and what would happen? We would dehydrate. So he implants that into this natural scheme of life for us to hunger and eat. And so it is in the spiritual life as well. The hungering and thirsting. And if we're not, there's something wrong. If a person is not thirsty or is not hungry, there's a a problem somewhere. And it needs to be addressed. And so it is in the spiritual realm as well. So we see here that we must be persistent in exercising ourselves unto godliness. There are spiritual blessings to obtain. We sing that old song, New Heights. I'm I'm pressing on the upward way. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. That is the pursuit of holiness. There's growth in grace needed. There are those, those that we need to forgive. There are those that need to be restored. And there are those that we need to ask forgiveness from. And we should pray that we'll not make shipwreck of the faith. Paul constantly... uh, If you will, we're not to worry or fret, but there's a holy consciousness. I don't want to preach to others and then myself be put aside and make shipwreck of the faith. We ought to be scared to death of that. We ought to not trust our flesh or ourselves. And the Bible says in in Hebrews, uh, we should follow peace with all men. That's one of the things that we should be careful about in our relationships. And one of the reasons for our families and our church family is that we live in harmony and unity. Follow peace. That means pursue peace. It's not at peace at any cost, but to do what it takes to keep right with one another and to, to express our love for one another and concern and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. We don't want that to happen. Lord, please avail me of your grace and show it to me. I don't want to become filled with bitterness and and laid aside and, and out of sort with you or your people. This all takes extra measures of grace. We must ask Him and seek Him and and keep on knocking until the answer comes, until the blessing is seen. This first thing we see in this aspect here is the persistence that God expects us to have. Importunity is what uh, we see in our notes uh, and the Bible notes. This is the persistence our Lord is speaking of and He expects in prayer. You're familiar with that portion of Scripture in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Turn that back there with me, or over there with that portion of Scripture to me, because it's one of the most remarkable passages dealing with prayer. And we fact, when we think of importunity, this portion of Scripture comes to mind. This whole section is dealing with prayer. And he begins in Luke 18, verse 1, with this. He spake unto them to this end, that men, that's all of us, ought... Always to pray and what? And not to faint. You see, this is an illustration of asking, seeking, knocking. 
you go to someone's door and knock at the door and they don't come, you say, well, they must not be home. But if you have a neighbor and you know they're supposed to be there and you've had a friend come in from out of town and you need a, a loaf of bread or something, you knock until they come. You see, it's a persistence. If you, 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 the emergency is there. You have an emergency. Maybe someone is sick in the night. You run next door to the next door neighbor. You need help. You keep on. There's an, an energy and an effort and persistence there. And Jesus said, this is the way we should be in our prayer lives. Persistent. Doggedly persistent. Knocking, asking, seeking. Saying, then he gives an illustration to illustrate what he's talking about, importunity. There was a, in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. So he's a hard-hearted person, isn't he? He's, a, he's not easily swayed, and it doesn't matter about what per, people's cases are. He'll do what he wants to when he wants to. It's the kind of judge you don't want to get. <laughs> it's the kind of situation when you have to appeal to someone, you hope you don't get that supervisor, that person who has the say-so, and you, you want them to feel kindly towards you and listen to your situation. But he was one of these people, I don't care what your situation is, I'll do what I want to when I want to. So he sets the stage. This doesn't look good, does it? And there was a widow in that city. Widows had no regard. If they did not have a son or a husband or a near kinsman to help them, they pretty much did had no recourse. But I've always thought that this lady, this was a property matter. It was some property. And remember in the Jewish mind, scheme of things that people could take it in the year of the Jubilee. It was supposed to be take, given back. And I think that this was property that was hers and someone else had claimed it. But she couldn't, couldn't make anybody hear her case. This judge had the authority to hear her case. It, it must have been something. Her livelihood had to be at stake. I think it must have been a, a plot of ground, a vineyard, or something that was necessary for her sustenance. Because she's so dogged about it, isn't she, for, for lack of better words. And she came to the judge to avenge me of my adversary. Someone had seized, taken advantage of her, whatever it was. Let's say it was a piece of property, a vineyard. A, a garden that she needed desperately, and someone just said, no, that's mine. I don't care. You're not getting it. Just leave it. And she appeals her case, and he would not for a while. Do you understand? This is the asking, and then the seeking, and then the knocking. But afterward, he said within himself, afterward, we don't get the, the full impact here. She has just come every day or every time the court opened up. She, this is, reminds me of Dickens' Bleak House, the case of John Dice and John Dice that went on for years and years and years and years and years. This little lady came to, to, for the will to be settled. They just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Afterward, that afterward doesn't tell you. It was probably an extended, protracted time, but she would not give up. He said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her. The judge is saying, and it doesn't put it in the vernacular, she's driving me crazy. And evidently she had a right or she couldn't keep coming. Evidently he knew that she was right and it, it, the law was in her favor or he could have forbid her to come to court. And so she knew her grant. You see why it's important to know the law? And in our case, to know the Word of God. Lord, your Word says. That's what she was doing. She was taking the promises of God's Word the analogy here is in prayer. You have said, this is what the Word of God says. I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust, unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? Now be careful here. A parable is given to illustrate truth, but 
God is not unjust. The judge was. And so it must have been someone that they knew, the judge and the woman in his audience. They must have all knew who he was talking about. God is not unjust. And we're going to see that. Our Heavenly Father can only do that which is just and right for us and best for us. But He's using the hard situation to show us that there are circumstances in life beyond our control that we must ask the Lord to do. God will avenge His own elect in His own time, in His own way. Though He bear long with them, though He may allow these situations to go a long time, it seems. Remember, time is nothing to God. There is no time to Him. Time is only with us. And so what seems like a long time to us is really not at all. He has eternity to deal with things, doesn't He? And we're told, avenge not yourselves. God will one day. He will set every wrong right. It may not be until the great day, but He will do it. We can rest assured that. What if God doesn't answer a prayer or request that you think is right your whole life? Is that the end to it? No, there's eternity out there. You've taken out all the... You don't have all the equation. God may not settle some things or answer some things until you're not here anymore. It's not time yet. Or until the end of time when He will correct everything. Well, someone may say, that doesn't give me much care. I want Him to do it right now. You see, our impatience, we're consuming... You're asking how? Amiss... Why do you want him to do it right now? To avenge you so you can feel smug about it? That you can settle the score and say, see there, I told you I was right. What if he waits to get greater glory at the judgment seat of Christ to do it? He will do what's right. He will avenge us. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, verse 8 says. Nevertheless, and then the Lord asked this question. When the Son of Man cometh, Shall he find faith on the earth? Or literally, that kind of faith. Faith that keeps asking. Faith that keeps knocking. Faith that keeps seeking. Surely, verses 7 through 11 are promises that God hears and answers prayer. But prayers for what? What are we to ask? What does this cover? It seems quite obvious that if you look at the text, remember we start out reminding ourselves we must always consider the context. It, it, the context here is our need for great measures of grace. We need wagon loads of grace, don't we? Every day we're stressed in this pressing society with all kinds of difficult relationships. And we need great measures of grace just to, to live the daily round of life. He's already taught us that the, the, the disciples' prayer in chapter 6 and verses 9 through 13, and we call the Lord's Prayer, and he told us that God would supply our temporal needs in verses 25 through 34. Don't worry about those things. I will supply those needs. Do we not need wisdom in witnessing? As in taught in verse 6, remember that difficult verse where it says, don't cast your pearl before swine? Or uh, they say trample them or, or that which is holy unto dogs. We need wisdom to know about that, don't we? Is this one of those situations when you're witnessing? Doesn't the scripture say go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Yes. But it also says some that are so hardened or who are scorners or who are making fun of what you're doing, just don't do it right then. Well, how do I know? Well, it takes great wisdom. Lord, is this casting pearls before swine? Is this giving that which is holy to dogs? Should I just pray and allow you to work in their lives? Or 
especially have you ever tried to witness to somebody and they just wanted to argue about who uh, Adam and Eve's children married? You never could get them to go on to their soul in eternity. They wanted to show you their, their superiority or what they thought about it. And they didn't want to listen to a thing you had to say. I was presenting the gospel the other day to a man. He kept going off on some tangent. And finally, I just had to think, you know what? He's not, go- he's not listening to me. And I just realized that we were getting nowhere. And I said, I would like to tell you about your soul and eternity and how to get to heaven. Hey, I don't, he said, I don't, I don't have any concern about that. I think I'm going to heaven. So there was absolutely a roadblock and, and a disdain on his behalf, no matter which direction I took. And so I said, you know what? This is not the time or the place. We need wisdom for that, don't we? And you, you, I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about there. We need wisdom to live the Christian life. And to steer our vessels through the, the rocky shoals of life. All around us, we can make shipwreck. Snares uh, that the ungodly and the unsaved don't even care about. They don't want that kind of wisdom, but we need it, don't we? We need boatloads of it every day. We want the Lord to stop us from sinful choices. Don't we pray, Lord, don't let me buy this or go there or make this decision if you're not in it. I don't want to mess up my... I don't want the ramifications of a wrong choice. And so that takes wisdom uh, to make it through this old sinful world. We need heaven's perspective, don't we? Don't you want to see things from God's perspective? And you can ask Him. What does He say? Do any of you lack wisdom? What is the remedy for that? Ask goes right back to our text, doesn't it? Ask him. But, don't, but let him ask in faith. Don't, don't let him ask amiss. Let, let that, not that double-minded man think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. We need God's... We need to see his perspective. We need his wisdom. And we need spiritual resources that the unsaved don't want. They don't need an extra measure of patience to deal with a co-worker or a wayward child, do they? They don't need the wisdom of God. They think they've got it all figured out. Lord, I, I don't know my right hand from my left hand. I will make bad choices and ruin my life if you don't guide me. Because of what? The world, the flesh, and the devil are all pressing me day by day. If we're to keep the Lord's commandments and lean not on our own understanding, we must trust Him and ask Him and seek Him. A.W. Pink says, Divine assistance is imperative if we're to meet the divine requirements. The divine assistance is to be sought prayerfully, believingly, diligently, persistently. And if it be sought like this, it will not be sought in vain. You see why we, we stop short? We ask a little while and, well, we just lose that prayer list or <laughs> turn over a new leaf or don't go back to that page because it just seems like the Lord is not doing what we want Him to or what we think He should. These needed spiritual supplies and stores of grace from heaven needs to be asked for, to be sought after. And our Lord promises that such persistence will not go unrewarded. He gives us that little lady. I want you to picture her going. I think she went every week, don't you? Every time the court was open, there she was. She had her documents in hand. She had her deeds. Her husband's name was on it, though he was dead. She knew what was right. Would you, would you read this and tell that man to give me my property back? No, I'm not. What did she do? She came back next week and next week and next week. Wouldn't you if it was that important? What about the spiritual areas that you need answers for? On and on and on. This kind of praying is the channel for heaven's treasures. If the Lord just gave out His treasures just at the drop of a hat, Lord, give me this, and bam, there it was, we would think He was a genie, wouldn't we? Or some kind of Santa Claus. And, And then we'd be presumptuous. We'd think we could have anything we wanted. 
and become ruined. Someone has said, an old Puritan writer says, we may spoil our children, but God doesn't spoil his children. He meets every need as they need it. And when you look back on it, it's above and beyond what we could ask or think, doesn't he? But he doesn't spoil us. He doesn't do things in such a way that we become... Grace never brings pride. Never, ever pride. It humbles us, doesn't it? And the goodness of God leads us to what? Repentance. Lord, I don't deserve all these blessings. And so, ask and seek and knock. Now, we are to hunger and thirst after righteousness if we're to be filled. The unsaved may, and the spiritual, unspiritual person doesn't even desire the things. And so he didn't ask for them. But we should. And he wants, to, you know, the unsaved person wants to get even instead of receiving an unusual measure of grace to forgive that person. They want to see the other person suffer. It's I mean, are calculating how they can get even. But the child of God said, Lord, this is so hard. This hurts so bad. I've got to have you help me here or I'll never be able to forgive this person or do the right thing. You see how it keeps us before the Lord, keeping ourselves humble and, and sins confessed. He wants the saved person wants to be right and, and with the Lord and, and, and right with others. The unsaved, the unspiritual are not motivated by fear or, or, and the jealousy. I mean, they're motivated by fear and jealousy and revenge and pride. All the things that are opposite from the, the spiritual man. All these things that we're to, to put off and we can only do so by stores of grace from the Lord. Well, how simple... Our Lord makes it here. He starts with what? Ask. Now, a child can do that. You know, my children never had a problem asking me for things. And now their grandchildren, Papa, can you, and they'll ask me for this, can you put my chain back on my bicycle? Probably not, but I'll try. Um, can, you, can you pick me up and, so I can get over this fence? You know, they ask me to do things that are reasonable. They know I can do. And they have no qualms about it. A child can ask. So that's the ABCs of praying. That's the beginning of praying. Father, and we're to come here, does he not give that illustration? What father would give a snake to a child who wants a piece of fish? Our God is not mean or capricious. Uh, he, he, or what, who's going to give you a rock when you need asking for a piece of bread? So he gives that familial, fatherly picture of a good father. That's our God. But he's not going to give us our God is a perfect father unlike us. And he's not going to give us anything that would ruin us or that would be wrong for us. A child knows his father can do it and will do it. And so he simply asks. And that's where we start. Lord, could you, would you? And we give our request very plainly and carefully. Jesus says, ask and it shall be given to you. And he gives to us how? Liberally and he upbraideth not. He doesn't fuss at us for asking. Well, ask because Ephesians 3.20 declares that he's able, we've already mentioned it tonight, to do exceeding abundantly what we're asking or thinking. We're to ask in faith. A child may ask you for a quarter, but, you you know, if, if they knew what, what other resources you had, they'd be shocked, wouldn't they? You know, a little child thinks a quarter is the end of the world. That's all. That could buy everything. But God has all the resources. We're to ask in faith and, and, because, and with confidence that God can and will answer, and we rely on Him to do it in His time and His way. We're to plead His promises. Remember again the, the lady? Judge, avenge me of my adversary. Please do it. She would plead and come and plead. That's the, that's the ask and seeking. We're to seek. Asking, that's simple. A child can do that. A newly saved person should be taught to ask for their needs. But now the seeking is another level of spiritual growth. And the Lord is going to take you there. 
he must. This is the only way to sanctify you. And so he gives situations where we'll have to seek his face. And that's a mature relationship with the Lord. It pictures Abraham interceding for Lot. That's a mature believer, isn't it? Lot doesn't see his wrong, doesn't think he's wrong, obviously doesn't care what he, but Abraham does. And he stands in that place interceding and asking the Lord. You see Abraham asking the Lord, Lord, if there are 50 people, if there are 25, if there are 10, and he keeps on in that protracted praying, meeting with him early and late in the secret place, is tracing out his will. Abraham said, you wouldn't destroy the righteous with the unrighteous, would you, Lord? And uh, then that may have gotten Abraham to start praying. Is Lot really saved, Lord? If not, save him. See, he opened up all avenues of praying. And then, Lord, have your will. And then how does Abraham end it? Lord, the, you're the judge of all the earth. And what? You're going to do that which is right. And he ends it with that. And then asking as a child can do that. A baby Christian can do that. If that's all you're doing, you've not gotten very far. Seeking is that mature level of, of interceding and, and praying and then knocking. What about that? That's a relentless pursuer after the Lord. These resources that we need, these spiritual resources that we need, may not come easily. For one thing, we're resistant, aren't we? Lord, I know I need to forgive my brother or sister, but they just made me so mad I could you know, bite a ten-penny nail in two. What does the Lord have to do? He has to work on that resistance. But Lord, you know they've done me wrong, and we begin to tell him all about it, and he knows all about it. God the Father desires that we seek his face. Now, a child will seek our hand. That's what they know to do, and, and a, a, a father's glad to do it. With the toddler, the little one, Papa, can you put my chain on my bike? Yes, I can. But a mature adult who ought to know better, who's just using Papa, are using daddy. That's a different case, isn't it? And the Lord knows our hearts better than we know our hearts. He wants us to fellowship with him. If my little five-year-old grandchild at 35 comes by and says, Papa, give me the car. I want your car. Well, no, that's not. I need my car. Well, yeah, you, got, you don't need it. You can't even drive anymore. You, that, that attitude of expectancy, do what I want to do. You're my grandfather. You give it to me. It's mine. I deserve it. And that's a whole different case, isn't it? That's, that sounds wrong, and it is wrong. And you know what I'm talking about. The Father desires us to sit and talk with Him. And Lord, I love You, not just for what You do for me or what I can get out of You, but You've sustained me and helped me. If You let Your hand off of me, I would, I would be as weak as water. And we talk to Him and pursue the situations and trace out His hand. And we read His love letters to us. And we read the charter and the deed to all of our future possessions and all that we have in Christ. You see, some of you need to go back and read the policies and see what's really there. There's a lot of fine print in here that some never, ever bother about. Oh, that's in there. Oh, I guess that needs to be seen about too. And we say, oh, this will work if I... Oh, I see. That's how that works. A.W. Pink says, there are times when it seems as though God turns away from us. He hides himself, and we have no access to him, it seems. This is to test our sincerity and to try our earnestness, to put us to the proof as to whether we long for his grace as much as we imagine. If we do, discouragements will only serve to redouble our efforts. 
when the four men who bore one sick of the palsy could not come near Christ because of the press, they broke through the roof and let the, down the bed whereon the man lay. And so far from Christ being displeased with their importunity, he didn't fuss at them for breaking open the roof, did he? You know what he said? When he saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And he commended them for their great faith. Faith refuses to be deterred and continues asking, seeking, and knocking until its request be granted or until we can reach that place where we say, Lord, you have your will, your will. This is still a big concern to me. My heart is still broken here. But I trust you so much. If you don't answer this in my lifetime, I know you're the judge of all the earth. And you do, you'll do what's, that's right, what's right to do, even if it's in the great day. And even if I have to wait until then to see it. Can we trust him that way? Haven't you trusted him for your soul? Doesn't that last a long time in that eternity? Isn't that forever? And all that pertains to us is very precious to the Father. Remember our relationship with Him. It's a child with a Father. It's not with the unjust judge. He is the judge who does all things well. But we're coming not to a judge. Our sins have already been judged and dealt with at Calvary. We're coming to our Father. It's a whole different standing altogether. That woman went to her father as the prodigal did, what did he do? He came royally and graciously. And that's how we're to come. This is our Heavenly Father. His, he can do all that we ask or think according to His divine power. He's given unto us all things that pertaineth unto life and godliness. Well, may the Lord give us the grace to live this out in our daily round of life. Ask, seek, and knock. That's a good verse to remember as we come before the Lord tonight. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Glen Iris Baptist Church. We trust that you received a blessing from our worship service. If we can ever assist you in your spiritual life, we would count it an honor. You may write to us at 1137 10th Place South, Birmingham, Alabama, 35205, or call us at 205-323-1516. You may also email us at gibc at glenirisnet Our Christian radio station can also be heard over the Internet at www.glenirisbaptist.org. May our Lord bless you and guide you day by day.